g'day everybody and welcome back to the extras my name is sam and i'm jack and welcome back for week two of our series in john chapter 15 jack thanks for being with us again today yeah pleasure good to be here yeah uh, we've had a big big night at uh, at church last night big morning at morning church yesterday as well just... yeah big day really <laughs> yeah and people it's such a great answer to prayer isn't it how many uh, people have been with us on the sundays um I, I saw the stat this morning that night church last night had the biggest ever normal night we've ever had in the history of St. Paul's, which is just, that's it. That's, that's amazing, yeah. Praise yeah. God. So, that's so good. Answered prayer, which is one of the things we're talking about today. Yeah, that's um, right. And uh, yeah, but now we're, we're, uh, we've been in John 15 to do this series on healthy mm. things grow and what it looks like to, to grow as a Christian disciple. Um, and uh, yesterday, throughout the day, you and Mike together were, were both teaching in terms of um, word and prayer as these sort of, um, you, you, you talked about in your talk, fueling the tank to help the, yeah. the Christian sort of power on in, in, in discipleship. Mm. Give us a bit of a recap of, of what we were doing yesterday and, and what things we were thinking about. Yeah, so we're thinking across this whole series, what does it mean to be a healthy discipleship, a healthy disciple of the Lord Jesus and what's going to help us grow to be like that? And as you said, word and prayer is where we were yesterday. Mm. We're thinking about uh, what what. The, the Bible is that it's Jesus' words that He's spoken, so that we would know who He is and know what He's like, and, and know how He wants us to live. Mm. We thought about how He's He's also the person who invites us to bring our words to the to our Father in heaven, and and to yeah pray to the God who answers prayers, and all those things are part of how we're made more like Jesus and how we grow up to be the people He He has called us to be. Nice, oh, excellent, um, really helpful night, and uh, some really great questions that have come mm. in in light of um, talks yesterday. Um, and we want to encourage people to keep sending questions in, um, texting them in during service, or you can email um, those in either to the office or to the preacher. Um, we, we'd love to get them and, and wrestle with your questions. But we'll dive in. Uh, we've got a few to get through um, this afternoon. So um, the first one I, I think is really helpful. You spoke yesterday about um, the Holy Spirit's uh, presence with us as we um, as we read. Uh, there's always two people reading, reading the Bible. And yeah. someone's texted in to say, what does it mean that the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible? And and, um, and then following on from that, how do we know that the Spirit is reading with us when we when we read? So let's, let's go to the first one first. How yeah. do we know that the Spirit wrote the Bible? Great question, yeah. I mean, at one level, you get to the Bible and you open books and it has words at the top like John. Mm. You know, the book that we're reading in this series is written by a man named John, one of Jesus' disciples. Yep. But we also know that it's more than just uh, a human author who's involved in the writing of the books of the Bible. One of the places you see that is even just in this this section of John, Jesus hints at the fact that his Holy Spirit is going to have this this ongoing role in the world of teaching God's people who he is. Mm. If you look at John chapter 16 from verse 12, now he says to his disciples, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. So even this big speech that he's given now, he's saying this is just the, the tip of the iceberg, there's more to come. Mm. And he goes on, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Mm. So Jesus says that the, the, the helper, the, the Holy Spirit, who he is going to send yep. when he goes away, part of the spirit's role is to guide the disciples and give them uh, the truth. And we see that flow out uh, in the, the ministry of Jesus' apostles. They go out into the world, they take up the gospel and they write these letters that tell people mm. who Jesus is and what he's done. And when the Apostle Peter reflects back on, on, on things like that and, and you know, the ministry of all those people who've written these documents we call the Bible, mm. he says this, 2 Peter 1 verse 20, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture 
came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, mm. but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So the way Peter says it is, the people who wrote these books of the Bible, they were being carried along by God's Holy Spirit. What they wrote is God's Word because the Spirit mm. uh, used them to write it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean, he says this a similar thing about, um, so he writes about prophecy, but he also writes about Paul's letters in the mm. same way, doesn't he? So at the end of 2 Peter, chapter 3, we're doing 2 Peter in a couple of uh, weeks' time, yeah, we so, so get, get ready for this. That's right. Um, but he, he writes um, in 2 Peter 3, 15, he says, Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Mm. But the big point there is that when Paul writes, yes, it can be hard to understand, we get that, uh, but he writes with the wisdom God gives him. And so yeah. there's a but it's a sort of dual authorship at one level. There. Exactly. There's, yeah. there's Paul writing, or John, or Peter, and God. Yeah. Exactly right. So when we say the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible, we don't mean the Holy Spirit, you know, sent the email from heaven and just printed it out. And, mm. you know, he, he used humans to do it. So yeah. dual authors is exactly the right way to think about it. Yeah. And that's quite different at one level to how some other religions speak of their sacred documents. Yeah. Um, so so um, in Mormonism, for instance, um, Joseph Smith's claim is that God sort of just gave him these mm. words that there's no Joseph Smith in it, according to Joseph Smith. And, uh, uh, it's just God, and he was given the special magic sunglasses that he could read the, the, the things with, you know. Yeah. Um, but the, the idea is that it's a purely divine, but but the, the, the Christian Bible is, is a divine document that's come through fleshly human yeah. um, vessels, means. Yeah, uh, totally. Yeah, so it's a both end. Yeah, yeah. It's a very human document, you know. You see... Mm. Paul talk about this is let this verse at the end of two Timothy where Paul says Timothy you know bring my coat <laughs> like that's in the Bible yeah Tim, Paul was cold he, you yeah. know he's a human going through human problems he was yeah. writing a human text yeah well the bit in Mark where, <laughs> where Mark kind of runs away with uh, just get with the bed sheet and runs yeah yeah naked. Mark yeah. runs away naked yeah. that's right yeah, yeah humans wrote these things yeah and somehow God's amazing purposes that's exactly the the word that he yeah moved these people to write for us and and that's actually sort of tied up with with a, with a fundamental truth about god is that god works miraculous and sovereign things through human agents yeah and, and his sovereignty works while people do their thing totally um, and yeah. the bible is is of the same order mm. yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, what was the second half of this question? second half of that question is, well, how do I know that the Spirit is reading with me? So that, yeah, that was your right, point yeah. yesterday. Uh, yeah. When I'm reading, how do I know He's there? Yeah, fantastic question. And the first thing to say is, you know that the Holy Spirit is with you if you believe in Jesus. Because every Christian is, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's the way that Paul puts it. Mm -hmm. In Ephesians chapter 1, um, he says, it's Ephesians 1 from verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believe, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, mm. who is the deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. So Paul says, when you believe in Jesus, when you heard that gospel and you put your faith in Christ, you, you were marked with the Holy Spirit. He's with you. He's always with you. He, mm -hmm. he is in you. Yep. And that means when you come to the Bible, the, the Spirit is with you as you read it, which mm. is really helpful to have the, you know, the author of the work sitting there with you, helping you understand what he's saying. It is even more than that, though. It's interesting, you keep going on in Ephesians chapter 1. Paul's just said, if you're a believer, you've got the Spirit. 
And then he says, verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation Mm. so that you may know him better. So you have the spirit, but Paul prays that you'd be given the spirit. And and that giving is not, you know, not being given for the first time, but... As he goes on to say, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. There's this illumination mm. that the Spirit brings as we read the Bible. Mm. So, if you're a Christian, you have the Spirit. And as you come to the Bible, you can pray that God would would, would give you light, would mm. illuminate you by the Holy Spirit. Because he's the one who wrote these words and who mm. will teach them to us. And, and that, I guess that's a key thing when you're reading a, a document that, that has been written by someone. If you know the author, you can actually say to them, hey, what did you mean... Yeah. When you wrote this bit, what, what did you have in mind? As a Christian, we, we, we know the author. We, we've got the Holy Spirit living in us, and so we can, we can have his help. You call it illumination. That, that's yeah. the sort of theological word for it. Yeah. Um, that the author gives us helps <laughs> to, to, that we can understand what he's, what he's put down exactly. for us. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Um, and, so, and, and every Christian has the Spirit, so we can, that's we can, right. have, we can have um, confidence. If you're a Christian, if you trust in Jesus, the Spirit's with you, mm. helping you as you read. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so there's another question that's coming in a similar vein, which says, uh, when we read the Bible by God's Holy Spirit, why is that different to reading a textbook or a novel? Yeah, great question. And again, the idea of dual authorship is really important here because I think in a sense, the answer is yes and no, mm-hmm. as in, yes, it is different and no, it's not. And that's because of the, the dual authorship going on. So is the Bible different to reading, you know, a textbook, a novel, any other human book? At one level, no, mm. because the Bible is this human document written by human authors. Mm-hmm. And that means you need to, you know, you need to understand human language to be able to, you know, you need to be able to read. You mm-hmm. need to look at the words and do the, the grammar and logic thing to understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. It means things like uh, the, you know, the historical context is important, you know, understanding who these people were and what they were doing. Mm. There's all these sorts of things that we, we bring just to the task of reading any text. Yes. But we also bring to the Bible. Yep. But there is more to say. It's also true that the reading the Bible is not the same as reading any other book because of the fact that there's this primary author who is God. Mm. One place you see that, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, um, Paul is talking about the, um, you know, the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom that God brings. And he talks about the role of the, the Holy Spirit has in all that. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 10, he says, The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Mm. If you want to understand what God is saying in the Bible, you can't get that unless the Holy mm. Spirit is helping you to understand it. Mm. So you can read any other book, any other textbook out there. You'll read it, you'll learn things at the human level. But if you bring that kind of mentality to the Bible, mm. you're going to miss what God has to say because it's it's only discerned yes, spiritually. The deep things of God are, yeah. are made known by, by the Spirit. Yeah, that's right. And I guess I mean that that plays into what we were saying at the start, which is that if you're a Christian, you have the Spirit and and you have this relationship with God. Mm. Um, and so, in the same way, I don't know. I, I often think about it in terms of um, I've I've enjoyed reading you know historical letters. I remember when I was at Moore College, I did a bit of a church history project on. Uh, um, the the Anglican Church in the early 1800s, and I read all these original documents of letters that had been written between ministers and people, and uh, you know, explored. And it's fascinating to read mm. as an outsider, and you learn a lot. Yeah, know, right. Info, history, uh, stories, and yet I never knew any of these people. And, I, mm. and, it's, and it's actually there's only so much that I can glean from the letters, and there were bits that I couldn't understand because they were they were talking about things that 
I'm just not privy to. Yeah, right. Because I don't have a relationship with them. And mm. I think it's the same in, in, in reading the word. Anyone can read the Bible. Yeah. Um, any human can pick it up and read it. Yeah. Um, and yet, w- once you have a relationship with God, um, mediated by Jesus, you know, enabled by the Holy Spirit, um, then you, you, you have a relationship with this person and you can actually um, get more... Um, yeah, engage on a relational level, I guess, um, and, and that's important too, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was saying last night as well, that I think my first tip on reading the Bible is, yeah, you, you're not just reading for facts or mm. information. The reason we read this word is... To know it's the Yeah, exactly. This yeah. is God's half of the conversation that he is having with us, and yeah, yeah we're not just learning data, we're, we're, yeah, we're knowing right. God. We're knowing God, this. that's the goal at the end of it all. Mm. Okay, uh, let, let's keep tracking along here. Um, in the talk, you said, Jack, that... Um, Jesus' word cleans us, um, which is the language of John 15. Um, and, and then that, the question notes that verse 3 describes that we are already clean because of the word spoken to us. Um, but then the question comes in, well, hang on, do, doesn't, does, doesn't God kind of prune and potentially clean us? Um, how, how does it work that we're already clean um, when it feels like the word kind of cleans us ongoingly does that make sense as a question yeah really helpful question this is something that's that's good for us to try and dig into and get clear on so the the question asker is right that the the cleansing that's there in john 15 3 is this one time thing jesus is, mm. is saying you know you are already clean because of the word i've spoken to you that's what he says to his disciples it's done yep. he says something similar if you you know back in chapter 13 yes kind of the the beginning of this upper room discourse we call it jesus washes the disciples feet mm. and he, he comes along and he's you know gets gets down and wraps his towel around him and goes to wash the feet and peter's like no i don't want that but jesus says no like unless i wash you you know you have no part with me and then verse th- chapter 13 verse 10 jesus says those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet their whole body is already clean and you are clean that's what he says to his disciples though not every one of you mm. so he knows that one of them is not clean is going to betray him uh, yeah. but he's saying that the rest of his disciples who've come with him he they've, they've been cleansed and he's not just talking about water at that point these are people who in some way that you know they've they've been cleansed of sin they've been set apart they've been mm. made holy chosen to be Jesus disciples that's the kind of language that's going on there yep so for us as disciples of jesus yeah if you've come to put your trust in jesus you are cleansed and the, the, the guilt, the, the, the shame, all of the unworthiness of sin, the guilt of sin has been removed because the cross means that Jesus can wipe it all away. Like, mm. you know, the lyrics of Jesus paid it all kind of running through my head as I was preparing on this. You know? Yeah. Sin's left a crimson stain. He's washed it white as snow. Like, cleansed in that sense. Yes. And that means for the Christian who keeps on going sinning, even after becoming a Christian, you know, does that mean that, oh, you know, now I've got a little bit more dirty, so I need to get cleansed again? Like, mm. at one level, no. If you have come to Christ, then you have been washed clean. You've been mm. made holy. You know, you, you are now a saint. That's what mm. we talk about. That's the, mm. the New Testament language, you know. And it was a, a, a once-for-all sacrifice. So yeah. there's no more sacrifice to be made because it's been made and dealt with. You've been cleansed. Exactly, yeah. That's true in that kind of initial once-for-all sense. Yep. That said, there is still the reality of ongoing sin in the Christian life. Jesus mm. has done away with the, the guilt of sin, but he's not completely eradicated the presence of sin mm-hmm. in our lives yet. You know, one day he will, on yes. the last day we'll be completely pure and holy, but right now we still fight sin. And that, uh, I mean, the language of 1 John 1 is really helpful. I mean, this is where, you know, John talks about if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. 
uh, but 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us mm. from all unrighteousness. Mm. That's that cleansing kind of language, yeah. pur- purity. Yeah. That's right, yeah. So yep. we keep, you know, even though we keep sinning, we keep coming to God and confessing that. Yes. And he's still faithful to forgive us and cleanse us in that ongoing way as well. Mm. So, yeah, so the, we've, where have we come from in the question? Let's <laughs> wrap it up, eh? <laughs> That's all right. Um, so, so we, we, we've made the point that um, we, we, we are once for all clean. That's yep. what John um, chapter 15 verse 3 is saying. That's right, yep. um, And yet, there is a sense in which ongoingly, even though we are once for all washed clean, mm. we're aware of our sin, we, we confess it before God and we, we trust for his cleansing work, work even now in, in our life to make us more like Jesus now. Is that, is that kind of the idea? Yes. You're getting it? Yeah, yeah. That's, there was one thing I want Yeah, you remind me. There's one more thing I wanted to say. Um, Ephesians chapter 4 I think it's really helpful because it shows us that the word is the, the thing that does grow us okay. in godliness and being more like Jesus. So yeah, Ephesians nice. chapter 4, um, Paul's talking about the um, the way that uh, Christians grow and, you know, grow to become more and more, um, the language he uses, chapter 4, verse 13, the goal is to become mature, attaining mm. to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's like, you know, we're all growing up, getting a little bit taller until we're as tall as Jesus. That's kind of the image yep. he gives. Yep. And the way it happens, he says, chapter 4, verse 15, uh, the way it happens, in speaking the truth in love, mm. we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him mm. who is the head, Christ. The way that that growth in godliness happens is as we speak the truth of God's word mm. to one another in love. So the yeah. word is the thing that has the power to, yeah. to grow us to be more like Jesus. That's what I was getting at. Yeah, that's time. right. And so it shows you at that point the significance of what we're talking about here. Because like... It was great yesterday to get quite practical in the in the tips. You know, here's some ways mm. to read the Bible. Here's some things you can put in place. But the significance of what's going on there is is huge, isn't yeah. it? In terms of, um, I'm hearing a word which which can build me up into the fullness of Christ, and I'm hearing words that can you know uh, re- that remind me that I can be cleansed by Jesus. Mm. You know, they're, they're they're big things yeah. through pretty sort of normal means of um, reading a book. You know? I know, yeah. Um, it's, it is utterly profound. There's but... something quite remarkable going on when you take some time and open up the scriptures. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Let, let's keep um, moving along here. Um, uh, you mentioned yesterday um, about fathers teaching kids and their family about the Bible. Yeah. Um, what about mothers? Is it specifically the father's job to do that? Is there somewhere in the Bible that makes the case that it's a dad's responsibility? Yeah, great question. If you're listening from Night Church, I moved through this pretty quickly at Night Church, and there was a bit more content to flesh it out in the morning. Um, so mm. we can cover that a little bit now. The the key verse I think is Ephesians. Yeah, again, Ephesians. It's always Ephesians. Um, yeah, what a great book! <laughs> exactly, Ephesians six verse four. Yes. Uh, Paul says, "Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord." Yeah. So that's a instruction, particularly addressed to dads. Mm. Now, what do you do with that? I mean, is that saying that, yeah, mothers have absolutely no role to play in kids coming to know Jesus? I, I want to say absolutely not. That's mm. not at all what is, it's getting at here. I mean, there are other parts of the Bible that talk about uh, the, the massive role that godly mothers play in the shaping of mm. a young person's life. Titus 2 points you towards um, women, particularly teaching women and children. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I always you down that pathway. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I always loved uh, two. Th- uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, mm. verse 5, where Paul's talking to you know, his dear ministry apprentice, Timothy. And he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, 
and in your mother, Eunice. Mm. And I'm persuaded now lives in you also. Yeah, significant women in his... Yeah, um, exactly. In his childhood. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Timothy's mother, massive influence in, in him coming to know the Lord. Yeah. That's kind of the implication, I think. Yeah. So yeah, mothers and fathers both have a huge role to play in bringing children up to, to see who God is and, and what it means to live for him. Both really important. The thing that Paul is saying when he says it explicitly to fathers is that is, is, there is a way in which this, uh, this responsibility is given to men, husbands, fathers in particular as the, the head of the household. Yeah. So men are, yeah, responsibility I think is the way to think about it. It doesn't mean that, uh, you know, mothers should never read the Bible with their kids because that's dad's job. Like that's not what it's getting at. Mm. What it's getting at is that fathers have the responsibility to make sure that their kids grow up mm. hearing the word. Yeah. Not everything that you take responsibility for, you do yourself. Sure. Like that's not what responsibility is. Responsibility is, you know, making sure that this thing happens, that's taking right. charge of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in my, I mean, in my own family, like I read the Bible with my family in the morning of a breakfast and, and I'll read the Bible with my son Oscar before he goes to bed. But for most of my day, I'm out of the house and, and my wife Katie's at home with the kids. She's the one who spends the bulk of the time with them and she's praying with the kids throughout the day and, you know, reading Bible story books with them. Like we both have a massive role to play in our yeah. kids coming to know the Lord and hearing His word. Yeah. But my job as the the husband and the father is to ensure that happens. If it doesn't happen, mm. it's on me. And I think, to be honest, I think that's a, a, a might be a surprise to a lot of people that that's mm. the way that the the scriptures set it up. Um, because I think there can be a misconception sometimes that um, to, to to be to run a Christian family would be to have a, a husband who who works and you know and, and a and a wife who looks after the children. That's very simplistic. I appreciate yeah. that. But there, there's that perception that that's mm. how it's meant to be. Um, but actually what, what the Bible does is it puts the responsibility on the raising of the children in the instruction of the Lord on the dad. Yeah. And so there's a big word to, to dads listening or future dads who, who are listening. Um, this, children are your, are your huge responsibility yeah. and, and not something that you can take a leave pass from and say, that's not my space, I don't get mm. involved there. Actually, you, you are responsible. Um, yes, you in, in partnership with your, with your wife. Um, but yeah, the responsibilities on on dad. Yeah, that's, absolutely. That's a huge call, and we want to encourage men mm. to to own this space and say, "I love this, and I want to get involved." Yeah, a huge responsibility and a massive yeah. joy and a privilege as well. Like getting to read the Bible with my kids is one of the most amazing parts of life. It's totally. it's just fun. It's it's really great. Awesome. It gets, it gets better as they get older too. You know, well, so. looking forward to that. It's, then. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's cool. very cool. <laughs> All right, let, let's let's keep um, moving. Um, uh, into thinking about um, prayer now, um, mm. a few questions about prayer. Um, in the garden, Jesus prayed for the cup to be taken from him, uh, but not his will, only if it was God's will. Um, so can we say that God didn't answer or, or was the prayer answered um, that the cup wasn't taken away because that wasn't God's will? So, so I guess it's a, a bit of a, a, a semantic question about when yeah. we talk about answered prayer or unanswered prayer. Mm. I guess, is a no still an answer? Yeah, helpful question. I think it is good for us to to try and get some precision on that mm. answering idea. Yes. I think it's right to say, at one level, God answers every prayer. Yes. He can answer a prayer, yes. He can answer no. He can answer just not yet. Mm. But all of those responses are an answer. Yes. So in that sense, yeah, Jesus' prayer in the garden was answered. God's, yes. God effectively said, no, I'm not going to take the cup away mm. from you. I'm going to do my will. Um, 
I mean, when we talk about unanswered prayer, though, like what we mean is the the prayers that God answers with a no, effectively. Yeah, that's what we're talking yeah. about, isn't it? Yeah. And and I think you know it's helpful to talk precisely on something like the extras, but I think it's okay to to talk about yeah, you know, unanswered prayer. That's that's just what we talk about. We we that's get right. what that means, right? Yep. yep. Um. Yeah. So another yeah, a place that maybe spells it out really helpfully is uh, two Corinthians twelve, which which I wanted to get to last night as well, but there was just a lot to say. This is the other kind of big example of unanswered prayer in the scriptures, I think. Mm. 2 Corinthians 12, verse uh, 7, Paul talks about how he was given this this thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment him, to stop him from becoming proud. And mm. we don't really know exactly what Paul means. Like It sounds like he's talking about some sort of you know illness or disease, some sort of debilitating yep. thing. Yep. Anyway, verse 8, he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, mm. but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect mm. in weakness. So it's an answered prayer, but it's answered with a no, this instead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And the fact that, you know, Paul has this clear word from God, I mean, we don't always get that when God's answer is no, but here it is a clear answer. And that's important because it shows you that when God doesn't give us what we pray for, it's not because he's not listening. Mm. You know, it's not because he's just, you know, hasn't bothered to check his inbox or anything like that. Like. Mm. God's no is a is a, an active, deliberate thing. Mm. And in this case, it's because there's something more important, something bigger that God is doing, I guess. You know, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Mm. In Paul's ongoing experience of this thorn that he's suffering, God is, is saying, no, I'm not going to take that away because I want you to see how great and powerful my grace is, even in your, mm. your distress. So, so that, I guess, can, can we extrapolate out of that, that when, when God gives a no... Um, it, it's likely because he, he has a better outcome or a different, better in his his sort of sovereign view of the world um, plan for how this is going to play out. So with, with Jesus going to the cross, um, the better plan is that, that Jesus' life would be given as a ransom for many. Um, yeah. In Paul's thorn, it's that, that God wants to make his power perfect through weakness. Um, we're not always given the, the inside track as to what mm. the purpose is, but we can take heart, can't we, that... Um, God doesn't just say no because he's mean. Yeah, absolutely. He says no because he's got a purpose in mind. Yeah, it's like Romans eight twenty eight. you know, God works all things for the good of those who love him, and that good is being conformed to the image of his son. Yeah. That if, if God says no to your prayer, it's because he only has your ultimate good in Christ yeah. in mind. Yep. Yeah, very good. And, and that's, I mean, that brings you back to the Romans 8, 28. In, in all things, mm. God works for the good of those who love yep. him to, to be conformed to the image of of Christ Jesus so he is working for good sometimes we think we know what the good is and we yeah. we pray for that but we, we can trust that God will give us what's really good exactly yeah okay um, so following on from that what does it look like to pray in line with God's will are there particular prayers that God always answers or is it that we should be praying for things that we think are good God glorifying things and if they're in and if they align with God's will well then he'll answer um yeah, how do, how do we pray in line with the will of God? Yeah, fantastic question. That that language of praying in God's will, uh, that's another John verse. It comes from 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. He mm. says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of Him. Mm. This is another one of those massive, bold prayer verses, you know, ask according to God's will. Yep. You have what you've asked. Yeah. So what does it mean to pray in line with God's will? One way you could read that is to say, well, God's will, that's his plan. That's what he's going to do. And 
God's sovereign. God decides what he's going to do. So whatever God wills is what will happen. So that means if you pray what God has already willed to happen, then what you've prayed for will happen. You see what I mean? Like if you, yeah. if you pray what God's already decided to do, then God's going to do it. Yes. Sort of whether you prayed or not. Yeah. And if that's what this verse means, it, you sort of wonder, well, like, why is, why did bother, why did God bother saying it? Like, yeah. it, it, you know, it's, you should have just said, just of, shut up and let me do my plan. That's effectively <laughs> what it would be saying, I think. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I don't think that's what it means to pray in line with God's will. It's not just, look, if you can, you know, if you happen to chance upon what God was going to do anyway, then that'll happen. Yeah, like, well, well done you, and you get yeah. a tick in the answered prayer box. Yeah, but like there's yeah. no, I mean, that, that's not an encouragement to pray. And, and John's saying, you know, we have this, he's talking about confidence approaching God. Like, yeah. what he's saying here is meant to be something that gives us boldness to, to yeah. bring things to God. Yeah. So the other way that uh, we, we kind of understand what God's talking about in the Bible when he's speaking about his will, it's it's God's... It's God's desire. It's, it's what God wants. Like willing is the language of kind of choosing and deciding. And, and sometimes we see that in terms of the, the way that God uh, reveals his, his purposes, his character, like the way that he wants us to act. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it means to pray in line with God's will. It's praying for the things that God, that God wants. Mm. And uh, you see that in, I mean, in our passage as well in, in John 15. 15. Oh, the chapter just before even. John chapter 14. Um, I've Flicks past it, gone too far. Where are we? John 14 uh, and verse 13. He says, I'll do whatever you ask in my name. Similar kind of thing to what we've been saying. But he says, I'll do whatever you ask so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Mm. So Jesus is saying, you know, the thing that you're asking, you know, in line with God's will, in his name, is the things that mean that God will be glorified in mm. Christ. It's a it's a prayer that has God's goal, his his glory as its goal. Yeah, that's the kind of the prayer yeah. that God's talking about. I think. Yeah. yeah, and so that's a that's a fascinating thought that God would actually act in 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 somehow in response to our prayers, aware of our petitioning and asking of Him, mm. and 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 then do things that will glorify Himself as a result of what we pray. Yeah, again, yeah. It's, it's just you know. So when you pray in in your in your bedroom or in the car or walking down the street, like there's just significant kind of things going on there. Like as, as mm. you say a prayer. That's right. Yeah. 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 One of the implications would be, I mean, there are things that you can guarantee God will not give you if you pray for. So the things that mm. are clearly against God will, like if you, you know, if you pray that God would, you know, enable the sin in your life to grow and flourish, that's a prayer that God is going to say, no, that's not mm. something that's for his glory. So, there are definitely prayers that God will answer, no. Mm. I mean, the other part of the question, are there prayers that God always answers? Yes. Mm. One of the ones that comes to mind is earlier in the episode, we talked about 1 John 1, and, you know, if we confess our sins to God, He is faithful and just and will yeah. cleanse us from unrighteousness. If you if you come to God and pray, Father, forgive me, mm. that is a prayer that you can guarantee God will answer because yeah. the cross shows you that God will stop at nothing to, to cleanse us and, yeah. and pay the penalty for sin. John 6, Jesus says, all who come to me, I'll never turn away. So you yeah. come in with the prayer of, of repentance and faith, mm. you can be assured of an answer. Exactly, yeah. Uh, 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 yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Beyond that, is there any other you know, class of prayer that God always answers with a yes? To be honest, I... I mean, we've been, you know, Sam and I've been puzzling over this, and I don't think mm. so. I mean, feel free to come and correct me if you can think mm. of one. I just I haven't been able to think of anything else that where there is a guarantee. And I think things like Paul's thorn in the flesh and mm. Jesus gets them, and he show you that there are always going to be prayers that God decides to give a no to. Mm. 
And so maybe that then needs to affect the, the attitude with which we come to prayer, um, which is like Jesus. When he prays for the, the cup to be taken from him, he then says, yet not what I will, but mm. what you will, because he knows that, I mean, he, of course he knows the plan of going to the cross. But, yeah. but big picture there, relationally, he's saying, Dad, you, you know best, and I, 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 I want to I walk with you, I want to yeah. honor you. Um, and and that's, that's the... I think the important thing at that point, that prayer is an ultimately relational act of a, of a mm. child talking to their father, their yeah. heavenly father. That's right, yeah. And that's such a helpful image because that, that, I mean, at least frames the, the prayers that God says no to in a different mm. way. Like sometimes we, you know, get so soft and I look, this, this is what I want from God. Mm. He doesn't give it to me. I'm just going to be devastated. Mm. He, you know, he mustn't love me or care. I mean, that's just not the way that the Bible describes God's love for us. You know, he is like a father who who cares and disciplines and, and loves his children. So when God doesn't give you what you ask for, that means it it's because he's the father who who knows way better than you do mm. what you actually need and what will yeah. be good for you. Like his will is not something that we should be disappointed if if what we pray isn't mm. what happened. Like his yeah. will is so much better than what you could possibly imagine asking for. 100%. Yeah. Okay. Um, we're getting close to the end, um, but uh, final question um, as we... Oh, actually, no, sorry. Two, two to go. Um, so, so in that vein... Um, what about if I prayed for a non-Christian to be saved? Um, that that feels like it lines up with God's will. Yeah. Uh, but yet, there are people we've prayed for, you've prayed for, I've prayed for, who mm. haven't come to Christ, who seem to have walked away from Christ. Um, how are we to think about that? Yeah. In some ways, I think it's the biggest question you can answer. If there's one prayer that I wish my Father in Heaven would answer more than any other, it's the prayer that you know my parents would come to know Christ. That's mm. That's up there, and I'm sure you can think of people that too what can we say i mean another way to frame the question is why would god send anyone to hell Mm. i think that's really what the question boils down to we know that god uh, has the power to save anyone who he chooses to Uh, if god answers our prayers with a no then it means that he's decided not to save someone so yeah what do you do with that i find this hard this Mm. is this is the I think the greatest wrestle in the Christian life is, is coming to terms and I don't think we will fully come to terms with that question in this life. But we can say something. I mean, we can say that uh, that God's ultimate goal is the glory of his son. That's the thing that this whole world is all about. Mm. We can say that God is glorified as much in his wrath mm. as in his love and mercy. That's one of the things we often struggle with. We think that, you know, wrath, bad, mercy good so surely it's better for god to just be merciful all the time but that's the way we think about it but it's just not how god is that you know god's love and his wrath aren't played off against each other like they're at war god is both completely loving and he's gracious and merciful and he is holy and just and has anger against sin and those are equally a part of him and they're both things that show his glory yeah so for god to finally let someone uh, not be saved and face his wrath is something that brings him glory as the holy good God who will not let sin go unpunished. Mm. I'm not saying that's easy to, to fathom and easy to hear. Yep. Uh, and we have to keep praying that God would help us to trust that he is good and right and just even in that. Mm. comes down to um, the elect as well. Yeah. Um, so John 6, um, we were saying before, Jesus says, you know, anyone who comes to me I won't turn away, and that, that, mm. that's 100% true. And yet at the same time, he says, I know my sheep um, yeah. and those that the Father has given to me. And so um, when you're praying for a friend who's um, uh, not yet a Christian, um, 
I guess you want to you want to know deep down that that um, if they are elect, God will save them. Yeah, um, that's and, right. And take take confidence in that. Mm. Um, and while they're alive, there's time. Exactly. So keep yeah. praying. Keep urging. Keep trusting in in the power of prayer. That in that regard, that God and God loves you to come to Him with it with a prayer like that. Um, and and keep persisting. Um, and uh, yeah. While there's while there's life, there's hope. So, so keep praying for them, um, yeah. and know that if if they are one of God's chosen children, they they will come. Um, and be bold, share the gospel. That's the means yeah. that God saves them with. Um, yeah, the yeah. time the time frame is so helpful. I think yeah. so often we we pray to God, say, "All right, God, here's what I want. Mm. Start the clock. All yeah. right, thirty seconds later, it hasn't happened. Oh, yeah, God doesn't care, or God hasn't heard me, or you know, God said a clear no. But that's right. You know, with the Lord, a thousand years is like a day, and yeah. vice versa. We don't know how long. Yeah he might be working over and yeah like like you said while there's life there's hope and I'm so encouraged when people yeah. you know multiple times when I've often when I preach about uh, my longing to see people like my parents come to know Jesus yeah. uh, some of you will come to me after church and share the stories with me about how you know your mother or father you know went all the way through their life hating God and then on their deathbed when they were 80 or 90 years old finally yeah. gave in to the gospel and gave the life to Jesus and yeah. you know those those yeah. stories are so amazing yeah. and remind me of the loving kindness of God and the encourage me to persist in praying yeah. for that because you don't know I was at Katoomba a couple of years ago and um, I met my my fourth class teacher just mm. by accident bumped into him in the crowd at a Katoomba Christian convention and um He's like, oh my gosh, you're here. What are you, what are you, you know, you're a Christian. I, yeah, I, I, you know, ministry. And he's like, oh, I've got to change. I've been praying for your salvation since I, since I met you in 1991, and uh, wow. you've been praying for me to come to Christ. And I mean, I came to Christ in 1998, so it took yeah. you know seven years for God to answer that. But at the same time, he faithfully persisted in prayer, yeah. and it made me think, gosh, we were a class of 30, and uh, there would have been a, you know a, a bunch of classes that this man taught, and. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I wondered how many people he was faithfully praying for that That's God, amazing. God had answered their prayers for, for them to come to Christ. And so, yeah, um, keep praying. Keep praying. Yeah, trust God. Keep praying. We're almost out of time. Um, let, let's close with um, some some practical tips of, of, of with prayer. So someone's texted in, look, how how do I go about praying? Um, what do I do? How do I do it? Um, can, can you give us some guidance as we wrap up? Absolutely. In our growth group uh, material for this week, uh, we are giving you something called the prayer hand, which is five words, I guess five headings that are a helpful model for what prayer can look like. So those five words are adoration, confession, thanksgiving, intercession, petition. One for, each, one for each finger. <laughs> yeah. yeah, active. It's not active just... is the catch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can arrange those words better. Well, Send an email. Tar, if we go the other way pick around. Tar, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. Very quick, all those things. Adoration, telling God how amazing he is. Yeah. Praising him. You know, hallelujah, Lord, you are merciful. You are compassionate. You are the best. Yeah. Confession, admitting that I am not mm. praiseworthy and, and, and wonderful. Uh, saying sorry. Uh, Father, here are my sins. Please forgive me. Mm. Uh, Thanksgiving, uh, recognizing how how much God has lavished his goodness on us and all the blessings that we see every day, giving him thanks for the good things he's done. Yep. And intercession and petition are two types of praying, like asking for something, asking God to do something. Intercession is asking on behalf of another. Mm-hmm. So that idea of kind of interceding for someone else in prayer, like yep. you know, praying for for your, your family, praying for the people in your growth group, you know, asking God on behalf of someone. Yep. And petition is bringing your own requests and your own life mm-hmm. to God. That's a helpful model to kind of pray through, starting with God, uh, moving through to others, ending with yourself. I think that's a, a good outward-focused, God-focused way that we can pray. 
Acatip. There, there you go. Um, there's plenty of other little ways of yeah. doing it. Um, uh, but that's that's a, that's a little, little tip as, as we go. And hopefully in growth group this week, you'll get a chance to um, explore that and yeah. dig in a little bit deeper. Good. Jack, thank you. That's been very helpful. Um, next week, where are we heading? What are, what are we next into in John 15? So we're next thinking about uh, the idea of fruitfulness. Those mm-hmm. branches that stay in the vine will bear fruit. And mm-hmm. that means a lot of things, but we're particularly, particularly focusing on the fruit of uh, the good that we do and the, the ways that we are called to serve one another mm-hmm. as Christians. Jesus says, you know, Christ-shaped love means laying down your life for your friends. Mm. We need to think about how we can be called to lay down our lives in service of one another. Absolutely. Fantastic. Should be good. Looking forward to it. That's it for today. Thanks, everyone, for listening through this far. It's been a long one today. Thanks for hanging in there. And uh, thank you, Jack, for all your work. We appreciate it. And Mike as well. And uh, we'll see you guys in church on Sunday. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.